Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. And there you have the theme up on the screen. Uh, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. And God willing, the next sermon uh, from, on the Holy Spirit will be on revival. And I pray the Lord would do it in our midst. And do it in our country. And do it in our city. And save people and revive His church. But this evening then pray in the Holy Spirit or pray in the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you dependent upon the Holy Spirit, dependent on your grace and power, dependent on the life of the risen Lord Jesus Christ who lives in the power of an indestructible life. We pray that you would speak with us, speak to our hearts, and open our ears and our understanding. It's very easy for us, for our minds to wander, Lord. And I'm so afraid that I would speak these words without the power of the Holy Spirit. That it would just come as words and our hearts are hardened. Or our minds are uh, dull and our ears are deaf and our, mind, our eyes are blind. But I do pray that you would speak. You yourself would speak directly upon the human soul. And work upon the human soul and give us understanding in the truth, enlighten the eyes of our minds and our hearts, and bring this word to us, Lord, not because of me, the preacher, but in spite of me, the preacher, for I am a sinner. Be merciful to me, O God, and be merciful to your people, and help us in the way of truth. For Jesus' sake, amen. <clears throat> so in the past week, I was at meetings. It's like an AGM for all the Afrikaans Baptist churches in the country. And the meeting goes from Monday. So we left here Monday morning at 10 when Philip and I and a, another young pastor went with us. And so the meetings then go from Monday lunchtime uh, to uh, Wednesday. We only, only got home at 5. So that leaves me with with sermon preparation because Wednesday night was pre-meeting and I can't get home and say to my wife and kids I'm on my way to my study. So I had Thursday and Friday and Saturday for sermon preparation. Usually two sermons take me from Tuesday morning to Friday perhaps lunchtime or a bit after lunchtime. So it's, it's almost impossible to ask me prepare two sermons um, in two and a half days or, or three days. And so I asked the Lord for help. And while I was at the meetings, you do have break times. And I used the break times as best I could. So in break times, if there's a shorter break, you can hardly do anything. But if there were longer breaks, I would go aside with my Bible and meditate on the text and pray through it and have time in prayer for the church. Uh, and then got up one morning at four, had my quiet time and tried to work for about an hour before our first session. And um, so that was it. And on Thursday morning, I said to the Lord, help me to have faith and to believe you're going to help me. And I did have faith. I didn't stress. And so I came to my study to start sermon preparation and the Lord gave me a whole sermon in a day, which is impossible for me. 
But the Lord did it. And so Thursday evening comes, it's elders' prayer meeting, and Yosha, without knowing what happened, or think I just told you what happened, and then you told me, on Thursday morning early, you prayed for me, because you knew I wouldn't have much time. And then Friday at Kids Club, Marine tells me, oh, on Monday she prayed for me, knowing I would have little time because it's these, these meetings, but they didn't know how the meetings work. They guessed I wouldn't have much time, but they didn't know am I going to have long breaks and times in between and the evenings, have time for sermon prep and so on. So I believe that the Holy Spirit laid it on their hearts to pray. And that was praying in the Holy Spirit. I'll give you another example. Kuis wouldn't want me to say this. I'm not saying this to uh, puff him up because it's also the work of the Spirit in his life. So I had these prayer times in the week. But this morning, I got up, and as I get up, I'm going to get ready for my quiet time. First take a shower, I get dressed, and then I get silly like a, I should, mustn't say a teenage girl, because they, maybe they'll feel I say they, they're silly. But I get silly like a girl. I get dressed, I've got a, a shirt like this, it's got light blue. Get, and I see, you know, this tie doesn't match. And then I roll up my sleeves, and I'm dressed, and I think, okay. I think, no, 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 I need the dark blue shirt. <laughs> so I'm wasting time. Well, I should have time. I'm dressing the body, but I'm not dressing the soul. Eventually, I, I end up in a quiet place. I've got my Bible, and as I start, I'm going to read, and I pray a bit, and I read a bit, and I pray a bit, but then I get distracted. And... Then a guy says to me, oh, he forgot his laptop. He needs to come and get it from me. He's on his way to the Cape. And so now that distracts me. And I'm so distracted and I'm praying a bit, but, but you know, divided attention. And only after this morning's message, I think you did exactly what you told the people not to do. So I get home and I'm talking about this double-mindedness, the deal the heart. Goodness. But what happened this morning, Chris was burdened to pray during the sermon. And he did. And after the sermon, I thought, whatever blessing the people got this morning wasn't because of my praying, it was because the Lord led Chris to pray. Okay, so my bad, and I had to confess that to the Lord for my prayerlessness and my divided heart. But the Holy Spirit led Kurs to pray. And that was praying in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we find in Romans chapter 8. Um, we see here in, in verse 26 and 27, pray in the Spirit. Now the question, why must you pray in the Spirit? Why should we do so? And there are two reasons in these verses. But let's read the verses, see if you can spot the reasons. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness... For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now the first reason you and I must pray in the Holy Spirit is because, in verse 26, we are weak. We are weak. Who of you ladies remember 
in 2019, you had a ladies' breakfast with Yulandi Korki. You remember that? And Yulandi Korki, they, for, for those of you who don't know, they were caught by Al-Qaeda in Yemen by radical Muslims, and they were locked up for 558 days in like a makeshift prison by these and the radical Muslim guards. And eventually her husband was killed by the guards and the other American who was taken captive with them. Uh, she escaped uh, a few months earlier. They, they set her free. But she said in that testimony, she said that she prayed a lot, her and her husband. Lots and lots. Like day and night, you, you, on and off, you're busy praying, you're busy praying, you're calling to the Lord. But eventually, I can't remember the time frame, but let's say after a few weeks, your prayers dry up. You don't know what to pray for anymore. And then they started thirsting, not for water, but for the Bible. They refused to have a Bible, and then they asked, can we have pen and paper? And they wrote as many Bible verses as they could. But they didn't know so many. Well, you think you know a lot. I remember Deirdre telling me that Yolandi Korki then said she shared her testimony at some other church and a, a lady came very chuffed saying, I know the, let's say, the whole of Ephesians off by heart. And she was so proud of herself that at least I know much. She said, take your Bible, take your Bible and then show me where's Ephesians in your Bible. And so she paged to the book of Ephesians and she said, okay, now take it between your fingers. And she did that. And she said, that's what you know, off by heart, the whole Bible. There's a whole Bible, this is all you know. Wow. What I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that the Bible is what the Holy Spirit uses. Not only this, I'm going to explain later on, but the Bible is what He uses to teach us to pray in the Spirit. Because if you're just going to pray without Scripture, your prayers are going to run out. They're going to dry up. The Bible gives you material to pray. It gives you matter. It here in it. If you only have prayer, you've got very weak prayers. If you only have the Bible, it's very dull and cold. You need the Bible and prayer. We need both. And so the Holy Spirit then teaches us, and the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to train us to pray. That's how He helps those weak prayers, as we read in verse 26. The Spirit helps our weakness. Why does it say in verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps? Well, the whole, the whole chapter, the whole of Romans 8, is, gives you lessons on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps you to live a righteous life. He helps you to battle sin. He helps you to focus your mind on what is good and true and beautiful and righteous and so on. And not on what is evil and debased and wicked and the rest. Uh, the Holy Spirit leads you in righteousness, verse 14. The Holy Spirit helps you to say no to sin, verse 13. The Holy Spirit cries in you, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God, verse 16. The Holy Spirit, in verse 23, he, he works in you when you groan, when you sigh because you're suffering and you're going through hard times. And He makes you long for the day when Jesus will return and you receive a new body, verse 23. And likewise, verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit helps you to pray in your weakness. 
just like verse 23 to 25, where the Holy Spirit helps you hope for the eternal future when Jesus returns, just like He helps you focus on that future, likewise, He helps you to pray in the present suffering. Like we see in verse 18, you see suffering. And verse 26 now, He helps you pray. Now, how does He pray? How does the Holy Spirit train you to pray, teach you to pray, and pray inside of you? I'm going to to tell you, first of all, how He does not help you to pray. It is not the Holy Spirit praying in you when you say, I speak life. I speak life. I'm not speaking death. I'm not speaking sickness and suffering. I'm speaking now financial prosperity. I'm speaking health. I'm speaking wealth. That is nonsense. That's not a biblical teaching. You won't find that in Scripture. People abuse Proverbs 18.21 where it says... That life and death are in the, in the power of the tongue, and those who, who love it will eat its fruit. That's talking about the consequences of your words. You can hurt people by your words, or you can help people by your words. That's talking about you're going to eat your own words. That's talking about you're going to get yourself in trouble with your big mouth. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about speaking life and wealth and money and all that kind of uh, prosperity gospel nonsense. What the Greek word means when it says the Spirit helps you in verse 26. It's a very long Greek word. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. But what it means is that the Holy Spirit, literally that word means the definition, He comes with a full initiative. And He comes with personal interest in your need, in your suffering. And He comes to help you. It's in the middle voice. So all of that together. So He works with you. That's how we pray in the Spirit. He helps you. You are not passive when we pray in the Spirit. It's not contemplative praying. That's a new thing that's crept crept into some uh, Protestant churches. It comes from Roman Catholic mysticism. Actually, it's Buddhist. So it's, it's this idea of contemplative praying. You come into church. You always leave the church open. Never lock the doors. Well, welcome to South Africa. We lock the church doors in the week. Um, but then people can just come in at any time and they just come to a pew and it's quiet and they're going through a tough time and so they just sit still. It's almost like Eastern Hindu and Buddhist meditation. You just sit still and then you ask the Lord to bring a holy word into your mind like Mary or like peace and then you just repeat that. Mary, Mary, Mary until it's like you got an out-of-body experience almost till you just got this peace coming onto you. That is not biblical Christianity and biblical praying. That is not what we mean praying in the Spirit. You're passive and it's the Holy Spirit doing things. Not that that is the Spirit. And on the other hand, praying in the Spirit when He helps you, it is not only the Spirit and it's not only you. It's not only you. It's the Spirit also. It's not only the Spirit. It's you also. So that would imply it is not some action from your side only where you've got the Book of Common Prayer like in the the Anglican Church in England, and this comes from the 1500s, they've got the Book of Common Prayer, and it's all these these liturgical prayers that have been pre-recorded, it's written down, and you just recite the prayers. Or when you were in school, we used to do this. You're in school and you're grade one, they won't do this in schools anymore, maybe they do, but then you recite the Lord's Prayer. All together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy king, and it's just a recital. There's nothing of the heart in it. 
That's not what we mean praying in the Spirit. It's just you or you've got a rosary and you say your Hail Marys and you say the Our Father and you say all these different kinds of prayers that's in the Roman Catholic Church. Or let me put it in our terms. And I, I got a fright when I prepared this. This is my prayer list. I've shown it before. But my prayer list that I pray in um, weekday afternoons, I thought, I criticize the Catholics and the Anglicans. You can criticize a school assembly, but what about me? It's fine to have a prayer list, but if you, can, if you can pray nothing but accept stick to the list, you'll never learn to pray in the Holy Spirit. John Owen said that if you always go into the water with little bands around your arms that have been inflated, you'll never learn to swim. And if you are always just praying according to some structure that you have, be it, a, be it a rosary, the Roman Catholics, I think that's wrong, or the Book of Common Prayer, or even the Valley of Vision, which is a good uh, Puritan book of prayer that can stir your heart. But if that's all you got, you will never pray in the Holy Spirit. You're not taking the inflated bands off your arms. You're not going to learn to swim. John Owen, in fact, he says that you may be quenching the Holy Spirit and hindering further progress, further growing in prayer. John Bunyan says, one word spoken in faith, and he's talking specifically about the word Father. If we prayed in faith, our Father, it is better than a thousand prayers as men call them written and read in a cold and formal and lukewarm way. It's not eight a low heart It's just formalism. We want to trust the Holy Spirit to help us in prayer. As verse 26 tells us, likewise the Spirit Helps us in our weakness. What did Jesus call the Holy Spirit? He gave a name. He said, when I go away, I will send another helper or comforter, the paraclete, advocate, what you want to call it. But the Holy Spirit helps, like it says here. This is a different Greek word, but the idea is there. He's the helper. And the Holy Spirit prays in us. He prays inside of your heart inside of your spirit and mind. It's almost like a parent helping a child. Have you seen parents with little children? We did this with our children when they were very young. So we started very, very small as babies. We started teaching them the Bible, Bible memory verses, and this Westminster Shorter Catechism for Children. That is what I use also with the kids club. And so I would say to the children from a young age, who made you? And they couldn't even put up their hand. I just put it up for them. God. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Eventually, Timothy couldn't even talk. Timothy, who made you? <laughs> he just put up his hand. And which of our kids, Deirdre, was a Timothy that only said, <laughs> when we say, God. <laughs> yeah, and then later on, you teach the children to pray. Even at that age, we taught them to pray. As soon as they can start talking, you say, say, donkey, Jesus, donkey, Jesus, amen, amen. And it's almost the same kind of thing the Spirit does with us. Not that He says the words and you just repeat it after Him, but it's, it's, He's guiding you in prayer. Like a parent guides a child. Guiding us in prayer, teaching us to pray. Verse 26 and 27, we read that. Um, he, he leads you and, and once He's led you, you have to pour out the words. It's not He, He's not going to pour out the prayers from the heart for you. He'll supply the words, He'll guide you, He'll teach you, He'll help you. But you have to do what Hannah did in 1 Samuel. Remember, Hannah couldn't have a child. And then the Lord gave her a baby in answer to her prayer. And his name was Samuel. But, but Hannah poured out her heart. She was in anguish. She was crying before the Lord. 
Or Psalm 62 verse 8, pour out your heart before the Lord, tell him all your troubles. So he'll supply the words, he'll give the strength and the grace, you must pour out your heart. And that is especially necessary, why? Because of what Kurs read. Because we live in a world filled with suffering. We live in a world filled with trials. We live in a post-Genesis 1 and 2 world. It's not paradise. It's not the Garden of Eden. This is a world that is fallen and broken. We need the help of the Spirit to pray in this world. And what do we do then? How do we pray? Do you have your Bible open? Verse 22, what do we do? There's an action we have to do in that verse. Not that we have to do, we do it naturally. We groan. We sigh. Why do we sigh? Verse 23 tells you why. What are you looking for? What? Speak up. Okay, we want relief. When will that final relief come? The redemption of our bodies only when you are raised from the dead and you receive a glorified body. So we're so longing for a new world. We are sighing. That is why there are tears at a funeral. When you see the coffin go into the earth, you cry for that loved one. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is why we cry when there's family problems or we're distressed when there are problems at work or even problems with your car and it's costing you a lot of money. <sighs> Problems and problems. We are sighing as Christians. We are waiting for that new world. Longing for it. And while you sigh, it's not only you who sigh. Who else sighs? I know creation also groans and sighs. But it's not only creation. Who else? According to verse 27. The Holy Spirit. He sighs in you. And then He leads you to pray. And by leading you in prayer in this broken world, He leads you to pray, but He leads you for a very specific reason. And I've n I never made this connection in the past. And I preached this passage before. John MacArthur showed me the connection. It's so clear you can't miss it. And the connection is, we all know verse 28 and 29, that God works, we know that God works all things Together for the good of those who love Him. And are called according to His purpose. And what's the good? We know that too. Verse 29. He's making you like Christ. I never made the connection between those two verses and verse 26 and 27. How does God work all things together for good? Through prayer. The Holy Spirit leading you in prayer. That's how He makes you like Christ and works these things for good in this broken world. So we need, we need the help of the Spirit. And we need it especially because we come, become so confused. We become confused so quickly in this broken world and in our trials and difficult circumstances. I preached on this this morning. Um, let me give that illustration again. I'll just change it. So here's your child... And your child is in a massive car accident. Your child ends up in ICU. And critical, is your child going to survive or not? Is the child going to die? Maybe let me change the illustration to a real one. Was it three weeks ago? Or a month? When Philip, we got the message about Isaac van der Walt, the ex-rector of the seminary. And his daughter had a stroke, a massive stroke, two massive strokes. 
parents are in South Africa, the daughter lives in Australia, and they get a message, she's on life support, after today they're going to call her, they have to make a call, or they're going to put, switch the machines off, switch off the machines or not. What do you pray in circumstances like? What do you ask? Do you ask for healing? Do you pray for a natural death that they won't need to switch off the machines? What do you say? So you need the grace and help and wisdom of the Spirit. What to pray for? And ask the Spirit, teach me, show me what to pray. Paul had, Paul had that in Philippians 1. Paul was in a position like that. So Paul's in prison in, in Rome. He's under house arrest. And now he doesn't know. Is he going to appear before the emperor? Well, he knows that's going to happen. But will he get the death penalty? Are they going to throw him to the lions or cut off his head with a sword? And so Paul's now in two. He's torn in two. He says in Philippians 1, 23 and 24, Well, I'm ready to go to Christ and I desire that for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Verse 21. But now I'm torn in two. I don't know what to pray. What, what must I do? I, 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 I want to go to Christ. That is... I mean, by far, that's much better. But I want to stay here because you Philippians, I want to still serve you and help you in your faith. What do you pray? What do you pray for? And it's in such times that we ask the Holy Spirit, please show me what to pray for. Please guide my prayers. Lead me in prayer. Now, it's not enough for you to say, no, man, you don't even have to ask the Holy Spirit. Just pray the Bible. You don't know what to pray. You don't know what promises to take. You, in, in, especially if you're confused and, and the stress is intense and the, the trial is intense. What do you pray? Where do you go in the Bible? Just, just flip it open and pray anything? Let's try. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well. <laughs> That's not going to help. What we need is not just to say, Pray the Bible. That's good. I'm not criticizing that. But an unbeliever can do that. An unbeliever can open a Bible and just pray. That's not enough. The Holy Spirit must give you the correct, or, or not the correct, the right promise for your specific situation. And the right word for your specific situation and place it in your heart. To bring it you under such conviction, this is what the Lord wants me to pray. How will He show you? I don't know. He can do it in any way He pleases. Maybe he, someone sends you a WhatsApp not knowing the slightest thing about your situation and it's exactly what you needed. Or maybe you're listening to a sermon or reading a Christian book and it's like it just pops out. It's there. That's the answer you've been looking for. That's what you should pray for. Or during your quiet time or maybe someone gives a testimony on a Sunday night and that's exactly what you needed to hear. The Lord encourages you. Or maybe we're in a prayer meeting and someone's praying and you listen to the, to the other people praying and someone prays something and, and it's like a light goes on. That's what you should pray for. Or that is the Spirit's answer in how He guides you in prayer. And so what you do now is now you pray that promise. Now the Holy Spirit has placed that and He's moved you to that is the sin you should confess. That is 
the request you should pray for, for your own circumstances or for that other person. That is what you should bring now in thanksgiving before the Lord or in praise before the Lord. You see what the Holy Spirit does. We didn't read to the end of the chapter, but if you just go to verse 34 for a moment, it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And what is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? He's praying for us. He's interceding. But what does verse 26 and 27 say? Who's interceding for you? The Holy Spirit. So who's now praying for you? Jesus or the Spirit? Christ or the Spirit? Well, in fact, both. But there's a difference. Jesus is praying for you at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit takes the prayers of Jesus and he prays them in you. So Jesus is praying for you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit knows what Christ is praying for and he takes that and then he leads you to pray for those same things. And now that prayer will be answered. It's wonderful, huh? <laughs> wow. So you need to be fine-tuned. <laughs> You need to be fine-tuned and sensitive to how the Spirit leads you. How the Spirit brings those promises of God to your mind and the Word of God. And, and whatever else, a thought to your mind, what it may be. And when the Spirit now leads you like that, you pray for those things. It's like you're a fledgling and you're trying to fly. You're flapping your wings. You're flapping your wings. And you're just learning to fly. And you can't fly that well. And then suddenly a gust of wind comes under your wings and you soar. <laughs> That's what the Spirit does. You're praying and you're struggling and you're praying. And suddenly the Spirit comes and He gives, he gives you wings and he, gives, he puts the wind under your wings. And you pray, you pray and your soul is refreshed and replenished and invigorated and empowered to pray in the Spirit. Now a question then comes, because I did mention some some subject of things. I didn't only mention the word. I mentioned a WhatsApp someone sends or a Christian book or a thought comes to you. How do you know that's the Spirit? How do you know, I said this this morning also, how do you know it's not just your own mind and you really want this to happen so now you're going to pray for this? How do you know it's, it's not the devil misleading you, quoting some scripture out of context? Or he comes as an angel of light but he's not, he's lying. Well, the Holy Spirit, it's not difficult, the Holy Spirit leads your prayers according to the word. Jesus said in John 15 verse 17, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, or my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So it's in line with the word. Or Ephesians 6 verse 17 and 18, verse 17 tells you, Take the, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And then the next verse tells you to pray in the Holy Spirit. So, sword of the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. So you're praying against Scripture, but not just mechanically like an unbeliever can do. You're praying that the Spirit has led you to the right promise, the exact one you need for your trial, for your difficulty or whatever you're praying about. Another example or way you'll know it's the Spirit is Zechariah 12 verse 10. Zechariah says, God will pour out upon them a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy and confession of sin, where you come humbly before the Lord. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you at the right time, 
You cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That's not a very good translation. A good translation would say, you, ask, you, you cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. <laughs> not just anxieties, cares, sorrows, burdens. He will carry the burden. And then obviously the fruit of the Spirit. The outcome will show, is this really the Holy Spirit leading me or not? Does it lead, if the Spirit leads you to pray, you're saying it's the Spirit, does it lead to love, to joy, to peace, to patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, change? Then you know it's the Holy Spirit. Another one is Jude. Jude verse 20 and 21, Judas. So Jude says in verse 20, Praying in the Holy Spirit, or pray in the Holy Spirit, and, and thus you keep yourself in the love of God. If you're really praying in the Holy Spirit, then if it's the Spirit leading you, that will lead you to love God more. Then you know that's the Holy Spirit. It's not the devil trying to trick you. And then obviously praying, as Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Are you praying really looking to Christ, trusting in His name, in His life, death and resurrection, His merit? Okay, now I know there's a question. And uh, I'm going to answer that question. Thanks for asking. So the question is, some people will say, but doesn't this mean you're praying in tongues? Like pray in the Spirit? Because some people might think that. It's possible. It's possible that praying in the Spirit can mean praying in tongues. You got that in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, he speaks in a tongue, a language, another la different language that he didn't learn somewhere. God taught him that language. So somebody prays in another language, uh, he does not speak to men, he speaks to God. So he's praying, and then it goes down in 1 Corinthians 14 to verse 14 and 15, and it says, he who prays in a tongue. Ah, so who gave him that gift? It's the Holy Spirit. All right, so it's possible. Although, that is not what it means here. <laughs> How do we know that? Because this is for every Christian. Does everyone have the gift of speaking in languages? Paul says no. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 30 and verse 10. Some, not all. And then Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, you must always pray in the Spirit. Does he mean always pray in tongues? <laughs> no. Okay, so this, is, this does not mean praying in tongues. I remember someone thinking that and telling me, Yes, if you pray in tongues, it's, it's not like just, you're not just praying with your mind. Now it's spirit to spirit. This is, this is like a higher kind of prayer. No, no, I don't, I don't believe that. I'll, I'll explain that when I'm going to do a series on the spiritual gifts. That's not what it means. Nevertheless, it doesn't mean that here. So praying in the spirit means there are times when suffering is so bad, because this is all about suffering. Course read it. When the suffering is so intense, you don't even know what to pray. Or you're so shocked, you're so confused, you don't have words. What do you say? Well, then the Spirit prays for you. And you sigh sometimes. It's like you, you can almost see the person just got the bad news and that's all they do before the Lord. They can just sigh. They're sighing, verse 23, but the Holy Spirit is also sighing in them. Verse 26, groaning. It's almost like the Holy Spirit translates that. He knows exactly. He knows exactly what you mean. And, and the, the whole circumstance and situation 
What is behind that? Help. He knows it all. And he translates those prayers, if I can say it that way, for lack of a better, better explanation, that he, he brings it to Christ. And then Christ prays that to the Father. Now does that mean, does that mean praying without words is better than praying audibly? Wordable. Is it better just to pray in your mind? Don't say the words. Obviously God knows what you're saying when you just think it. I mean, Jonah was busy drowning and he was praying. He couldn't say words. <laughs> he couldn't say anything. He was busy drowning. He could just think. And he writes his prayer in Jonah chapter 2. Uh, so yes, the Lord does hear when we just think prayers. But I would suggest perhaps it's better to pray aloud. Not because it's more spiritual. It's just more helpful. Your mind doesn't wander as easily. You're praying aloud. If you're just thinking, your mind wanders. So I think praying aloud helps. You see Jesus praying aloud. In Hebrews 5 verse 7, with loud cries and tears he prayed. Or Psalm chapter 5 verse, verse 5, verse 4 in the Afrikaans, you say, see David saying, In the morning you will hear my voice, Lord. <laughs> uh, John Owen says, actually, John Owen says, praying aloud, praying audibly, is better because when you hear yourself praying, you hear the words, it excites the emotions. And it excites you to desire more. And to want to pray more. So, make of that what you please and what you want. All I'm trying to say, it's not more spiritual to say, I don't have words. The Holy Spirit prays inside of the believer. Often when there's just groaning, as verse 27 says... Uh, he, he searches hearts. No, 26. The Spirit Himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. That's just a, just a footnote there. That's another reason why this does not mean praying in tongues. Words. Too deep for words. If you're praying in tongues, you're using words. <laughs> Even if it's another language. That's words. Okay, but if you do not have words... We read there, the Holy Spirit still prays for you and in you. And the fact, the fact that it says the Holy Spirit groans. Why does he sigh? He's not suffering. Why is he sighing? It means he has compassion with you. He has compassion on you. It means he's, he sympathizes with you. He really cares about you. In all the afflictions he was afflicted, says Isaiah 63 verse 9. And it's like he's stirring in your heart. He's stirring these passions and these desires and emotions to cry out, to groan to the Lord, like verse 23, groaning for the redemption of the body. This body is suffering. It's got cancer. It's got gout or whatever. Going through trials. I want a new body that can't suffer. The spirit and the bride say to Jesus, come, come. Okay, that's the first reason why... We should pray in the Spirit because we are weak. The second reason is in verse 27, and that is because God answers such prayers. <laughs> That's why we pray in the Spirit. I read an article, it was maybe last year. Um, I was doing a sermon on Christ. I can't remember what sermon, but I looked for some verses on the omniscience of Christ, meaning, say, Jesus knows everything. 
And then I read one article that said, there are not really verses on this. Jesus does not know everything. Jesus is not really God. Well, excuse me, sir. Verse 27 says, very clearly and plainly, he who searches hearts. He knows the heart of every single believer. I think you need to be all-knowing if you want to know every person's heart, things they don't even say. Not like going on now in the world. I saw a video on Friday, I think someone sent me a video with some Australian news channels, British news, news channels, a woman in England who was arrested for a thought crime. Because there's a, an abortion clinics, they've got a buffer zone. You can't come closer than 150 meters to the abortion clinic and protest. So she was in the buffer zone and she was just sitting on a bench. And then the police came, what are you doing? Are you praying? She said, maybe. They said, you're under arrest. They arrested her, then questioned her and interrogated her. What were you thinking? Were you praying? And she said, yes, I was praying. What were you praying about? And then they locked her up. And then eventually she won the court case. But she was arrested for a thought crime. Well, that is nonsense. No one knows another person's thoughts. The only person who knows your thoughts is your, is, is your own spirit. You yourself know your thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10. And obviously God knows your thoughts, says Psalm 139. And verse 27, he who searches hearts. That is Christ. I know it can refer to the Father. I'm saying that it refers to Christ for a reason, because the Trinity is in that verse. And I'll get uh, to that toward the end. You read uh, an example in John 2, verse 24 and 25, it says, Jesus himself did not entrust himself to these people because he himself knew the hearts of all people. He didn't need testimony. He didn't need witness from anyone. Or testimony to witness what is in the man, the heart of man, because he himself knows the heart of all. And then in Revelation chapter 2, we find a similar thing where it says in verse, verse 23, Jesus is talking and he says, I search hearts. I know what is in the heart of man. Verse 18 says he's got eyes like a flaming fire. It's like he sees right through you. So Christ is the one who searches hearts. The will of the Holy Spirit, because it says he prays, uh, Christ knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows all our hearts. The mind of Christ the mind of the Holy Spirit, the mind of the Father, the will of the Spirit, the will of Christ, the will of the Father. It's one and the same will. It's one and the same thought. It's one and the same. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He taught us to baptize them in the name, singular of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One name, three persons. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. Jesus knows the mind of the Spirit. And then when Jesus prays for us, the Father knows the mind of Christ. It's all one. Now you might say, but Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but yours be done. What about that? That's not one will, that's two. Hmm. Well, Jesus is man. He has a human will and he has a divine will. So Jesus hears the prayers of the Spirit. It says in verse 27, He who searches hearts, that Christ, knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He hears the prayers of the Spirit. And He hears them all at once. He hears them all simultaneously. He can answer all those prayers at once. Imagine that. 
He knows what is going on in every mind here at this moment. And even before you thought it according to Psalm 139. And every single human being in heaven and on earth, every heavenly being, every angel, every demon, he knows it all. And therefore he can help us. Therefore he understands what you mean when you're going through a trial and you just put your head on the table and kneel beside the bed and go. <sighs> he knows exactly what that means. And he translates it and prays it for you and in you. You don't even know what that means. You and I don't even know what we always mean when we just sigh. We're so confused. You don't know your own heart. You know some of it. But Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells you deceitful is the heart above all things. You don't know what's going on in the heart of the other person who criticized you. You don't know all their motives. You don't know the circumstances. You don't have the detail of your whole trial, everything that's going on, every connection everywhere. You don't know what's, what the outcome will be. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know what God is planning through that. Sometimes you don't even know your motives when you pray. Neither do I. James 4 verse 3, we pray with wrong motives sometimes. You don't know what you really need. You just want this to happen. You don't know is that the best thing. You think it might be the best. You don't know. So that's why we need the help of the Spirit in prayer. He knows. Christ knows. Yes, our prayers are broken. But despite our weak and broken prayers, that does not limit God's ability. That does not limit God's power. The fact that you and I are limited and powerless often. The Holy Spirit helps you according to verse 26 and 27. He helps you in your weakness. He prays for you. He groans in you. And Christ knows, He searches your heart, and He knows that's what's going on in your heart. This is what the Spirit prays, because the Spirit knows what's going on there. It matches, He prays for it to the Father, and the Father gives. And then God does far more abundantly than all that, all that you and I can pray or think. You can't even think as great as God can do. You can't even pray as great. God can do much more than we pray. Now this is not for everyone. These verses. This is not for unbelievers. This is for those people in whom the Spirit dwells. And it's only Christians who have the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers, He does not dwell in them. And you know the Spirit is in you. How? The fruit of the Spirit. You can see in your life. He's changing you. He's transforming you. So if your life is filled with sin, and I'm not talking about Christians sinning and stumbling and getting up and I confess my sin, I'm sorry, and I, I strive toward, I'm not, toward holiness. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're a person, you cause division where you go. Because uh, Jude tells us in verse 19, such people are devoid of the Spirit. They cause division. You're the kind of person always fighting kind of person, sexually immoral, a drunkard, all of those people do not have the Spirit. And if you like that, then you will suffer like any Christian, because you're in the same world we are in. You're going to go through hard times, but you do not have all these promises. 
You do not have the Spirit groaning in you. You do not have the Spirit praying for you. You do not have the promise that God's going to work all things together for your good. You do not have the promise you'll become like Christ. You do not have the promise that you will be called justified and glorified. You do not have the promise if God is for you, who can be against you. You do not have the promise God will graciously give you all things just like He gave you His Son. You do not have the promise that you are more than a conqueror in all these things. You do not have the promise that, the, that, that no charge can be brought against God's elect, that Jesus is praying for you. You do not have the promise that nothing can separate you from God's love. Oh, believe me, when you die, you'll die alone. When you die, you'll be separated from your loved ones forever. When you die, you'll be separated from the love of God and you will be, that terrible word, you will be alone. Like Jesus was alone. It was alone in dark Gethsemane that Jesus prayed there for us, that his sweat became like big drops of blood falling to the ground. It was alone that he hung on that cross. All the disciples had left him. And even at the moment when the women were there, there came a moment where he was alone, bereft of human company. And then the sky darkened. Not really uh, an eclipse because it was full moon. Not overcast. Not clouds blocking out the sun. The sun failed to give its light, says Luke 23. The sun stopped shining. Pitch dark. And Christ hung under the veil of darkness. So the world would not see the judgment the Father was about to pour out upon His Son. Where Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now how in the world did I get from Romans 8 to there? I got there in this way. The unbeliever, you do not have these promises. You will die alone, but there's good news. Christ died alone. So that you will never have, have to cry out if you repent and trust in the Lord Jesus. You will never have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus paid it for you. He paid it all. You don't have to die alone. You don't have to fear death. Christ had paid for it. Christ paid the price. He became the curse for us. You, what you have to do is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What you have to do is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What you have to do is confess your sins. What you have to do is trust in Christ for His righteousness. What you have to do is all of those things and you will have peace with God and access into His presence. Romans 5 verse 1 and 2. And if you're a true believer then in Jesus Christ, what will be probably the very first sign that you are a Christian. Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. Prayer. You will cry out, verse 15, Abba, Father, 
Wasn't that the very first proof that Paul was really saved? God sent Ananias, go and pray for that man. He said, no, that guy kills Christians. I'm not going. He persecutes them, drags them to prison, make sure they get the death penalty. Not a chance I'm going. The Lord said, you go. But Lord said, you go. For behold, he's praying. Acts 9 verse 11. That was the first sign. He's got a relationship with God now. And it's not the kind of prayer that unbelievers do. It's not that kind of prayer. You know, unbelievers, they pray sporadically. They pray they're really in a crisis. Then they'll call out to God. Or maybe through tradition. Or maybe they'll pray for material wealth. Give me money, Lord. Health, wealth and prosperity. That's not how you pray anymore. Your prayers have changed. You're a Christian now. And the way you now pray, the way you pray is, you pray in the Spirit. And you pray, verse 27, according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit now guides you in that way and He prays according to the will of God in you. So when you are in suffering, you bow your head, even if it's a bowed head and there are lots of tears streaming down your face, you say, Lord, this is hard. But I accept your will. I bow my knee. This is your will, Lord. And now you believe that God has removed the sting from your suffering. He's removed the sting, the angle. He's removed the sting from your suffering. Yes, your suffering is hard. Yes, it hurts. But it will not overpower the promises of God. It will not overpower all these promises I recited to you earlier and that course read from Romans 8. Okay, never overpower that. God will work your suffering for your good and He'll do it through prayer, in answer to prayer. So in the end, that's where we're going, right? Not just answered prayer, but prayer, full stop. Prayer. Because prayer is fellowship with the Trinity. Fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what you said this morning, Chris. You gave a short testimony. It's not just going to God for what you can get. Just going to God for God. Going to God. And if we do not seek the Lord like that, if we do not come to Him, Romans 8, 26 and 27, praying the Spirit, I want fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If, it's not, if that's not the way you pray, then without the Holy Spirit, your, your prayers will be cold. Your prayers will be dead. Your prayers will be formal. They'll be lifeless. And prayers like that will never penetrate heaven. It'll never reach the ear of God. It'll be like a rocket. Go up like a rocket. Nose first into the ground. Doesn't reach God. The only prayers that reach heaven are those prayers, and that's why I see the Trinity here, or that's, this is how I see the Trinity here, prayers prayed to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. That's Ephesians 2.18, basic Christianity. Christianity 101. And what happens then? The Father will again tell His Spirit to stir up the affections and to stir up the prayers and to pray inside you. Now He's answered that, right? You've prayed, 
in the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. And then the Father gives His Spirit to pray in you. And then the Spirit does that again. And He prays according to the thoughts of Christ. The very thoughts Jesus is thinking at this moment. Then He prays those prayers. And He prays them in your heart. And the Father answers them. And the process, the cycle continues. And it continues and it continues until Romans 8, 26 and 27 happens no more. And the Spirit no longer prays inside of you. You're in heaven now. And now you are not praying in the Spirit. You are praising in the Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, blessed be your name. Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, blessed be your name. O oh Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray in the Spirit and help and guide us in our prayers. And answer those prayers in our sufferings, Lord. But help us then not to just come for answers and bring requests, but to come to you for you. Because we want you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.